Hello, and welcome to the Health and Wellness Show. I am your host, uh, Doug, and with me uh, today is Tiffany, and Hi. we are... <laughs> it's just and me. We're, uh... <laughs> yeah, we're not, uh, we're not at our full staff today, actually. Um, so we're missing Elliot, Gabby, and Jonathan, and Erica. Wow. Down to a skeleton crew. <laughs> But fortunately, we are joined today by Zoya Klebnova. Klebanova. Klebanova. That's it. Klebanova. <laughs> uh, Zoya is a veterinary doctor living in Russia, in the capital of Siberia. She practices at one of the premier veterinary clinics in Novosibirsk, and she treats cats and dogs and many other furry creatures. Uh, you all know Zoya from the pet health segment on, uh, that we air weekly on this show. And today we are overjoyed to have Zoya Jonas live here on hey. the Health and Wellness Show. Hello, jazz everyone. hands, jazz and hands. Very glad to be here. <laughs> yes, welcome, Zoya. And just so you know, we are taking calls as usual. So if anybody has any pet health questions, animal questions, um, feel free to click the call in button. Yeah, how often do you get free advice from a real live veterinarian? Yeah. So take advantage. <laughs> yeah, indeed. So, <laughs> so, why don't we just start off by asking kind of a general question, Zoya? Like, what do you recommend to people when they first are thinking about getting a pet? Well, there are several important things to consider. Um, you need to keep in mind your environment. If you have a family, if you have small children, um, it, well, it's kind of different for cats and dogs. Well, first of all, if you're a cat lover or a dog lover, if you had a pet, if you had a, a pet before, or if it's your first experience, um, you, if it's a dog, you need to consider a specific breed of dogs, uh, consider their uh, character, char characteristics, breed, you know, so it will be specific for your personal needs. If you have, for example, a small house, you don't have a yard, uh, then you shouldn't get a big dog or a dog like Husky that require a lot of running, a lot of energy mm -hmm. and a bigger space. Uh, if you have a cat, uh, yeah, you should also realize that bringing a cat at home, uh, it may scratch. So if you have like a super, you know, expensive furniture, then and, and you don't want to sacrifice it or take a chance or stuff like this. So all of those things should be considered. You need to realize that when you bring an animal into your life, you are going to rearrange your schedule around this animal. Or, for example, if you travel a lot, then you should um, make sure to make arrangements. Uh, you can't, well, wild cats uh, can be left at home uh, for a certain period of time by themselves. Uh, they are more independent. Dogs do require um, basically treatment and taking them for a walk twice a day. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, are you willing to wake up early in the morning and uh, even on Sunday? and walk with them and uh, pay attention to them because there are a lot of dogs well all of dogs require you know attention um and playing with them but certain breeds um, they basically become too unbehaved hysterical and not stable really without a proper training 
So you also should remember that you should take your dog for your, for training. And, uh, well, basically it's a big responsibility. Yeah. 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 I How think early... that a, a lot of people. Oops. Oh, sorry. How early should you say... start to, uh, <laughs> train your puppy? Like what age? Well, actually, um, you know, like it depends what you want to do with the puppy. Uh, obviously, if it's a hunting dog or it's going to be a pet therapy dog or it's going to be a simple dog, it's it's varies. Um, mm -hmm. Well, actually, they even say that starting from four months puppies, you can really start training them. And uh, uh, dogs do, puppies love discipline. They do require this kind of attention and direction because they are like small children. They always test boundaries. And uh, if you don't give any boundaries to them, they they don't know how to behave and they grow up directionless, you know, like... Um, Just like people. Yeah, like people. So like with kids, you you do need to give them love, attention, but you also need to provide them with a firmer hand and discipline and to show them the boundaries that's that's something that they really do need they need a job like uh, certain breeds like german shepherd definitely even labrador retrievers and um and, and golden retrievers and the dogs especially with the high energy uh, they should uh, have an outlet for this kind of energy either to play with them a lot um or to provide them with some kind of job that's why golden retrievers and the labradors are being used in service jobs because this is what they are good for mm. that's interesting i think that i i do see quite a few people it's not the majority or anything but it seems like there are a number of people who don't really understand the responsibility involved in having a pet like they like the idea Mm -hmm. And they like, you know, they pick out a dog that they think looks nice, but don't necessarily um, look into what it's like and whether its temperament is appropriate and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I'm thinking of one friend in particular I know who got a, a Dalmatian when it oh. was kind of um, really popular, like kind of like, I think it was when the Disney movies came out again or re-released re or something or a remake or something. And, you know, he just really liked the idea of this Dalmatian because he liked the look of it. But the thing is, this Dalmatian, like... And I don't know if it's characteristic of the breed or not, but it was so hyper mm -hmm. and it really didn't like, you know, it was so resistant to being disciplined. And, you know, I don't think he was very good at it anyway, but he was just completely unprepared for it. Um, and it ended up kind of like destroying his house all the time and like pooping all over the place and stuff. And I, I don't yeah. Anyway, it just seems like uh, it's something you really need to kind of be prepared for. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I had a and neighbor. I had a neighbor that had a Dalmatian and they kept him in the backyard for her in the backyard all the time by herself. Her name was Trixie. Aww. It was so sad because yeah, just... all she would do is just come up to the fence and just want to play and she was out there by herself all the time. Oh. Yeah. So what I was saying is that, um, well, and sometimes like people get a breed like Yorkshire Terrier, Yorkies, and uh, they forget that they are Terriers. They can hunt, well, they can hunt mice and rats, and uh, they are very trainable. They, they can do tricks if you teach them, but people use them for, you know, as toys. And, uh, and that's why they, 
sometimes they are hyper, they are very nervous, they, but basically they are hunting dogs, even if they are really small and funny looking. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. I had a West Highland White Terrier um, when I was growing up. His name is Dylan. And he was like a good dog for sure. He's a little bit cranky. Um, but nonetheless, I thought like, and I, the thing is like my mom got it when I was a kid and I think that she wasn't, <laughs> I don't know that she really did that much research or anything. She kind of just liked to look at them. But I, I think that we were lucky because he turned out to be a pretty good dog and pretty good temperament for, we were living in a suburban house. So like it was enough space for him and everything like that. Cause one thing I find is that you, you see sometimes that people live in these small, tiny apartments and they get these really big dogs and it just seems mean. It's like they don't they don't have enough space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So so you definitely need to consider those things before you take a dog because dog appears to be a greater responsibility. Cats, you know, like cats uh, can fend for themselves. They they it's but you also should consider the specific breed because there are all kinds of predispositions and uh, character. Uh, like Maycoon cats are more social. They like to be around um, humans. Mm. Uh, Siamese cats are also very loyal. Um, and uh, British uh, short hair cats are more, um, well, I can say independent, but they, they, some of them don't like to interact with humans as well. It's like oh. they are more, they actually have a more kind of, I don't know, selfish nature sometimes <laughs> yeah so um it's it it's it depends on the breed as well you know like oh if it's a mixed breed it's also good some say that mixed breeds are better uh, when it comes to health issues but um, when you get a mixed breed you also need to remember that you have no idea what's mixed in there mm. so what kind of you 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 get some sort of uh, you know like like a dog in a bag and you have no idea what's <laughs> what's coming out of there. <laughs> it's a mystery bag. Yes. <laughs> well, we um, have so a... Yeah, definitely. We have a mm -hmm. question in the chat. Ryan asks what your thoughts are on getting a puppy, uh, a rescue puppy, versus, I assume, puppy. yeah, uh, like a dog from a breeder or something. Well, uh, well. First of all, it's a good thing. You know, it's a, it's a good choice. Uh, res taking in rescuing rescued animals, it's always better uh, because you're helping out. Uh, but um, but you also need to consider that uh, in this case, sometimes you don't know what kind of life this puppy had. Um, if it's a puppy, it's easier than with a adult dog. Uh, but with puppies, you also can have issues. Like, for example, if this puppy was mistreated before, or if this puppy was taken too early from uh, from his or her mother, and uh, they weren't primed properly uh, during the crucial period, which is usually between eight weeks and sixteen uh, weeks, and uh, they if they haven't been socialized properly, because this is the period when they are being socialized and primed properly. Um, so if if you take a puppy uh, before eight weeks, or if you take a, uh, like a really scary puppy, you'll have to go through a period of uh, adapting your puppy uh, to the surroundings. Uh, if you have uh, smaller children, it should be also considered as to gradually and slowly doing it. 
um, because and perhaps this puppy wasn't socialized with other dogs so you should be careful about uh, taking this puppy to meet other dogs and on in the park for example mm -hmm. uh, if it's a more adult dog uh, it's more tricky because yeah you you should be more careful especially around children and uh, well it 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 can have its issues, but uh, some like most in most of the cases, uh, volunteers and shelter people they do know at least some sort of uh, history of an animal, so they can tell you if if, if what happened to it if they uh, picked it up from a street or uh, an elderly that died or mm -hmm. there is uh, like usually there is some sort of story. Mm -hmm. So so you you shouldn't be worried. And uh, and actually, uh, in many cases, even if you take a puppy from a breeder, uh, it doesn't mean that they weren't abused because they could grow on a um, puppy mill. Yeah. And puppy mills are really, in in many cases, are more abusive than than a dog that was just thrown away on the street by some family. Right. So it's it's. You you just need to if you want to avoid it you should just need to meet the breeder to see how they keep their other dogs, and you know to be aware mm. and then do your research make sure that you are making the right decision and that you are ready for this responsibility and it doesn't matter you you can give the same amount of love both to the shelter animal and the one you get from from breeders like. Uh, from breeders, it's just better to make this decision because you know what kind of breed you get. And mm -hmm. so you can uh, read about the characteristics. You basically may know w what exactly you're getting mm -hmm. breed-wise. Right. And what is, maybe if people don't know, what is a puppy mill? Uh, well, it's basically, um, it's like uh, breeders that are not really um, conscientious. They basically up in this business for you you know only for the money, and uh, they take a they take an animal um, a female animal, and they use her as a sort of incubator. I mean, like you know, they just breed. They they they're being kept in really inhumane conditions, uh, and uh, small cages, and they just you know breed puppies or kittens, and that's it. And then when they are not able to, and then they get pregnant again. And when they are not being able to, if they are not, uh, if they are sick or not able to get pregnant again, they are being get rid of. Mm. So it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's, they yeah. are being kept in a large room or with many, many, many cages. And uh, it's, mm. it's really horrible. And they're being, usually they're being sold in uh, zoo shops. Mm. So there is like a tendency now to, um, and uh, asking that you don't buy it. Don't buy it in those shops because right. you, you 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 just contribute to the existence of those puppy mills. Yeah, and they have the same thing for cats too, probably. Um, less for cats because cats are really sensitive, more sensitive. So usually, but there are people who who do keep cats only for the money to breed them, and mm. yeah, because some breeds really cost a lot, like Maine Coons, for example. Yeah. 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 So always, if you suspect that, that your puppy came from a puppy mill, like usually before buying something, especially if it's expensive, you should check uh, the conditions where the mother is being kept, where other animals are being kept. Mm -hmm. Do your research.
don't fall for the cheap price. Like usually they will be cheaper yeah. than mm -hmm. those that you well, can buy in private house. I think the, the, you know, the pet stores and stuff like that, that you see in like, just in the mall, um, yeah. they kind of, they're, they're really like targeting kind of impulse buyers. It's mm -hmm. like, they see the puppy and it's like super cute and they're like, Oh yeah, let's get a puppy. And they're not doing any research at all. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, it's good advice to kind of just do your research and look yeah. into things before. Yeah, before like many dimensions actually found themselves on the street after the, it was this movie, the Disney movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, they are hard to handle. They are a very unstable breed and uh, they do require a lot of discipline. And uh, many couldn't handle, handle them, so they found themselves on the street. That's terrible. And if you go to a breeder, you know, because I've, I've just heard like different stories about how to kind of pick out a dog. Mm -hmm. Is there any kind of tips on that? Well, uh, usually you shouldn't, uh, um, you should take a puppy that it's not too uh, small, not earlier than two months. Mm. They have to uh, receive, or even three months, it's better. You know, the longer they stay with the mother, the better. Mm. And uh, you should take a well, maybe not, uh, maybe maybe not older than four months. You can well, you can take a puppy even four, five, six months. Uh, but um, they should take care. Usually, the breeder takes care of the first initial puppy uh, vaccinations mm -hmm. and deworming. Um, and you should get a passport, a veterinary passport with all the vaccinations in it. Mm -hmm. Um, they should, they should have received the first checkup. Uh, well, basically they should be in good health and, uh, nutrition wise, they should have re received a good nutrition for puppies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's very important. Now you brought up vaccinations there. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about, I mean, it's a contentious issue vaccinations in, in the human world. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know that there are a lot of people who are kind of against the idea of vaccinations for humans, but um, and might carry that over to pets. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that? Uh, well, first of all, uh, the in interesting and unfortunate thing for humans is that uh, actually uh, veterinary vaccines are better in the sense that it doesn't have other this stuff like formaldehyde or mercury in it. Um, it it's cleaner in this sense. It's safer. Cleaner. It's safer. Yeah, yeah. Why is uh, that? Why do they formulate them differently? Yeah. I'm just asking well, out loud. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. But that's what the that's that's what the um, head of the veterinary immune and like some sort of association was telling uh, Dr. Becker that basically um, animal grade vaccines are. Uh, more distilled and better than human ones. That's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. So, and considering their lifestyle and considering the nature of the viruses that can affect uh, both dogs and cats, that they're really uh, lethal, um, usually it is advised also by um, natural veterinarians to vaccinate, to do the uh, dual vaccination when they are small. Um, and also rabies, if your cat or a dog go outside. But it is essentially, if they were immunized properly with those two vaccinations, uh, it is usually enough for life. 
to be immunized. And if you're not sure, and if your veterinarian is bugging you, then you can basically ask for a titer that checks the level of antibodies in blood. Mm. And it can show if, uh, if there is enough level of antibodies, then you definitely don't need to do annual vaccinations. Or there is, for example, a, an issue that even the manufacturer of the rabies vaccine says that it, you, you can do it only once in three years. Many clinics, veterinary clinics, still do it annually. And uh, it's a very serious vaccine with, with uh, very serious adverse reactions. And even if your puppy is completely healthy and maybe it won't have an immediate reaction after the vaccine, <clears throat> sorry, it can uh, activate or induce a cascade reaction of autoimmune reactions later on. Um, so, yeah, it should be really uh, considered. So better if you, you do have to immunize your kitten or puppy twice, like in, in you know, like an interval of 21 days. And, uh, and then when it's done, then you can also only do titer tests, but no annual vaccinations, no need for it. Well, I know in the U.S., some states, uh, <laughs> it's illegal to not have your pet vaccinated with the rabies vaccine. Mm -hmm. No, it is in North Carolina. Well, if you are traveling abroad or between states, um, like for example in Russia, it is as well. If you want to travel with your pet to another city by uh, airplane or train, you do have to vaccinate them before. Mm -hmm. And you have to have the updated documentation for it. So if you are traveling with your pet, you do have to vaccinate them again. It's not enough. So what, um, when, when should you go to the vet? Like, you know, dogs and cats, they get sick. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes it's not really a big deal and they just kind of get over it. But what are, are there any kind of signs or anything of when you should actually say to yourself, okay, it's time to go to the vet? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, uh, there is a general recommendation that at least once a year you do need to do a checkup. Even if you f your um, pet feels fine, um, it's the older they become, it's better to do a checkup, especially if they are ha if if they are of specific breed, where there are all, all all kinds of predispositions, or perhaps if they have small signs. And like for example, people usually they think there is like a common myth that uh, it's fine if a cat throws up every day. Well, it's not fine. <laughs> mm. You know, like it's okay if you throw up once in a while. Um, sometimes like they overate or they ate something, they may throw up or if, if there are hairballs, if they have like a long ha longer hair and they throw up hairballs, then you can see it if it's a hairball, then then, then yeah, it's it's fine. But uh, having, if, if you have like they vomit on a daily basis, um, and especially if they drink a lot or they pee a lot or stuff like this, then it's in cats specifically I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Then, and if they're all the cat, then it's definitely you should pay attention to it and not just say, well, it's normal for them to puke, you know, like every day. Mm. Uh, in dogs as well, like, uh, for example, if you have an intact female, not, not sterilized female, 
new dog, uh, especially if it's a Labrador or Golden Retriever or Demi, German Shepherd, or there may be many other breeds, like even a mixed breed dog. And if you see them suddenly drinking a lot, peeing a lot and being a bit fatigued, and then and, and they are like above five years old, then you should suspect that perhaps they have an inflamed uterus and with the pus, pyometra. Um, so, so yeah, this, these things like can creep up uh, on you and you, you may not, not notice it, mm -hmm. you know, stuff like this, balding, all kinds of spots, uh, red eyes, um, itching. So basically the, um, rule of thumb is usually do every year, do a checkup. Uh, try to ignore uh, your veterinarian surges to revaccinate, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and yeah, and uh, the older the cat or dog become, um, you should consider that they may have issues. And uh, I'm also not saying about all kinds of emergency situations, you know, like um, and also yeah, and also don't wait up wait ups too long. Like for example, we do have a lot of cases where, for example, an animal. Um, like a cat or a dog didn't eat for like four or five days and the owner is like oh well maybe i should check and go mm. you know like to go and see if what's if, if something is wrong because for example uh, it's it's true that carnivores especially cats in nature may go without food for several days but um, in our conditions uh, in the current conditions, cats usually, if they don't eat more than three days, then it's, uh, you know, like they have a very acidic stomach. And so if mm -hmm. they haven't eaten for three days, they may have a ulcer, a ulcer developing, mm -hmm. you know, like the lining of the stomach is being ulcerating because of the, because they don't get any food. And so you, you may have an additional problem. Mm -hmm. Um, like for example, some dog breeds, smaller breeds, they, if, especially if they're used to eating, um, um, like specialized food, the veterinary food. Mm. And sometimes, you know, you have guests and this cat says, oh, it's such a cute puppy. Okay. And they throw, they give them something from the table, mm. you know, a sausage or something. And it's enough one sausage for Yorkie to get a pancreas, uh, problem, you know, like, uh, pancreatitis. Really? Yeah. Mm. Huh. And it's extremely painful. Um, so those sh things should be considered. Yeah, it's uh, and, and you definitely need to remember when uh, taking a pet that some of them do have um, inborn predispositions, genetic predispositions. Mm -hmm. Like May Coons do have a cardiac problem, problems with the heart. Uh, what? Hypertrophic, um, yeah. Oh, you don't know. Oh, you have. Oh, you have mean goals. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so you see, it it kind of does develop with with time, mm -hmm. but uh, I don't know how old they are now. But if they have reached an an age of one year, then yes. just in case, just in case, I would advise to do a checkup to do an mm -hmm. ultra, uh, heart ultrasound to check if it's not genetic, uh, basically that they weren't born with it, but it, you can, they can actually have a, if everything is fine now, they have a predisposition for developing it later in life. Mm -hmm. So um, just 
just to explain how um, symptoms may express themselves uh, in cats. Uh, if they, for example, have a pulmonary edema developing um, as a result of a heart problem, mm -hmm. they may pant, they may be tired more, they may pant and pant with an open mouth like a dog, like uh, with the tongue out. Usually mm -hmm. cats don't do it at all. If they do it, it means they're in distress. Either they're in very, very great stress or, uh, or they do have a trouble breathing. Mm -hmm. So in situations like this, if you have that they hypersalivate or they uh, panting more than usual with an open mouth uh, or they have uh, bluish colored like mucosis mm. in, in their mouth mm -hmm. or, or bluish tongue, then you, it's an emergency situation. You definitely need to take your cat to a doctor. So that um, will be a sign of like a lack of circulation because their heart is not pumping as well as it should be. Yes. And that can cause like, fluid like buildup in the lungs too. Yes. Yes. And, and it's just like in humans, when your, your heart doesn't work properly, if the circulation doesn't work properly, it can cause all kinds of uh, problems, including even, you know, like in, it it usually happens more to uh, Persian uh, breeds or mm. breeds like uh, British short hair a lot. When they get stressed, they can have, and if they have a, a additional heart problem, but not specifically, uh, they can get out of, you know, like due to stress, they can get pulmonary edema. Mm. So when you do see signs like this, you definitely need to take uh, really quickly your cat to the vet. Mm -hmm. uh, another thing that can happen is bloating. It usually happens in larger breeds, like Great Dane, but also German Shepherds can get it. Mm. Um, Asian Shepherds can get it. Like the bigger the breed, the bigger the problem, so mm. to say. So they can have sudden bloating, uh, torsion of the stomach, and it's extremely... Uh, life-threatening. Uh, unfortunately, 95% the percentage they don't survive. Oh my but, god! But but it does depends. It, like some survive. Sometimes you need to remove the spleen because of the torsion. Mm. You know, like it's, the circulation was cut to the spleen, and uh, and basically the quicker you act, the quicker chances for survival. Uh, another very important topic that you do really need to pay attention to especially with breeds like Labradors and Golden Retrievers or any other breed that just eats everything, you know, mm -hmm. around you, like everything, including rocks. Um, it's especially valid uh, regarding puppies because they, they, you know, like they are still undisciplined, but with larger dogs as well. Um, there is a, like a, a new generation, latest generation of uh, rodenticized, uh, you know, like the poison red poison oh mm. like warafin yeah they they have a specific color they have this uh, toxic green or toxic red coloring mm -hmm. but they they do look like kibble uh, mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. dogs um, they like see it's something like kibble. They don't mind the, the color, you know, right. even if they are not exactly colorblind, but you know, like they don't care about the color. They say it's something like, it looks like something they can eat. So we have a lot of cases like this that uh, dogs find ingest red poison. And the most insidious part about this poison 
is that it has an anticoagulant effect. And so, uh, and it takes time until it affects the internal organs because um, it takes like about three days before it really starts to affect. Uh, like in worst case scenario, you, your, your dog may go three days without any symptoms and then suddenly he starts to bleed and then it's very hard to, mm. to, to control it. It's still possible and then you wish that, you know, like that not much damage was done, but, um, but basically the best case scenario that you saw that your dog ingested this red poison, you have to immediately take your dog to the vet. Uh, if half an hour or 40 minutes has passed, uh, then you can induce vomit, uh, vomiting. Mm -hmm. But if it's more than this, then uh, you can get K1 injections, K vitamin K1 injections mm -hmm. and other symptomatic treatment. And uh, then it has a better chance of survival. How do you induce a dog or a cat to vomit? Um, well, um, you can uh, do it in, uh, well, vets can inject uh, specific drugs to induce vomit, but... Okay, in, so it's not typically something you do at home, like just stick your fingers... In home condition? Yeah. Well, in home condition, you can do two things. First of all, mm. uh, salt. If you, if you just give them a lot of salt, they they can vomit. But mm. they, there is also uh, an idea of peroxide, per, per, peroxide, how you say it in English? Peroxide? Peroxide. Like hydrogen peroxide? Yeah, hydrogen peroxide, mm. the 30, the 33%. That? No, no. 3, 3%. 3%. Yeah, 3%. Yeah, 3%, yeah. And and you just give it like on a, on the tip of the tongue and it's supposed to be like a couple of drops if it's a big dog, or like, no, several drops if it's a big dog. Mm. It depends on the size. And uh, then, then it should induce vomiting. Mm. But mm. if you do have uh, a possibility to bring your dog quickly, it's it's better. It's it's way better than just you know trying it at home. So, <laughs> if you did have um, a dog or a cat that wasn't eating, how long would you wait before going to the vet? Like, because for some, I know I have a cat that like loves to eat. Mm -hmm. and one time he didn't eat for an entire day and we were already being like, okay, we better take him to the vet mm -hmm. because it was just so unusual for him. Um, but I don't know if that's overreacting and if you should give it another day to see. Well, um, well, yeah, it depends on your pet's behavior. Um, basically, anything abnormal you should pay attention to. Um, but if some pets do have like some sort of intermittent fasting periods <laughs> where they <clears throat> don't eat and it's fine for them and it's and it's that's that's how they behave and, they, and it's normal. Mm. Um, but if you know that your cat loves food and when you, you you know like you prepare food and the cat meows and comes and runs mm -hmm. and everything, then if if they don't do it, then it's a problem. Then mm. you need to pay attention why. Um, uh, one thing that you need to remember that, uh, well, you don't need to feed your, a dog with cooked chicken bones. Mm, happens yeah. a lot and people just, they just think that they can give it and it's yummy and all this, um, you know, like uh, bone marrow is very healthy. But it's uh, it can be very dangerous and uh, because uh, you can give a dog 
uh, bones and and then they just sit in the stomach they can puncture the walls or mm -hmm. something like this and uh, sometimes you won't have any symptoms at the beginning but then they may start if there is like some sort of obstruction um, in the intestines or in the stomach then you may start having a problem like vomiting and yeah it's it can happen yeah are raw bones okay <clears throat> Uh, yeah, raw bones are fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I maybe wonder, I've go ahead, Tiff. No, I was just thinking about the uh, congenital heart defects that some cats and dogs might have. I wonder if there's ever been any studies, like with humans, genetics isn't necessarily destiny, and if you have the right environment, eat the right foods. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if any tests have ever been done, like comparing cats and dogs that have this genetic predisposition for certain uh, health problems, and they tested them uh, against like conventionally fed pets versus raw fed pets. Well, um, well, first of all, um, like I haven't, uh, I haven't read any, I haven't read any studies about it. Mm -hmm. But I do think that it it's definitely logical um, that the diet that you you know like that you feed your cat with or a dog it definitely affects because um, as I said you may have also from the diet you may have an autoimmune reaction and uh, if if there is a cascade of reactions or allergic reaction uh, in the body it can trigger all kinds of processes that were dormant before that. Mm -hmm. um, and it can definitely lead, uh, if, if, for example, a cat was perfect and yeah, it has a predisposition, like for example, Shelties have a predisposition for epilepsy, but not every Sheltie has mm. it. And, uh, and actually, um, in a lot of, like, for, for example, now it, it is well accepted also for, uh, by a mainstream, uh, medicine, by mainstream veterinary, uh, medicine that uh, a cure for epilepsy in dogs is ketogenic diet. Ah, mm -hmm. really? Yeah. And so, uh, like, you can suspect that if it's the cure, a wrong diet could be also a trigger. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm guessing that if, for example, you feed your cat with kibble, well, first of all, it's a well-known fact that cats that are being fed with kibble, they have a much higher chance of getting a kidney disease because uh, cats don't drink a lot of water in nature. They get all the moisture from uh, pets they catch, uh, from, from uh, prey they catch, like mice, mm -hmm. mouse, bird. So they eat them whole, in, including internal organs, including blood and everything. And uh, they may get some moisture, you know, like from nature. Uh, but... Uh, but the, when they are being fed only with kibble and they still have this instinct instinct of not drinking much, then they have a problem of uh, slowly developing kidney disease. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, definitely. Uh, it's So we usually advise, we'll add a bit of more moisture to, to your pet food and, and, and everything. But if it can be avoided at all, like, for example, as I said, with the Br Br British short hair, and Persians, uh, we do uh, see a lot, a lot of those cats coming uh, like after eight, 
eight, nine years, so after seven years, uh, come with uh, chronic kidney disease. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's and it's it's probably it's the most probable from, from because of the diet. Well, since we're talking about diet, maybe you could talk a little bit about the unfortunately named barf diet or <laughs> species appropriate diet. <clears throat> barf. I think barf stands for biologically appropriate raw food. Is that mm -hmm, it? Mm -hmm. I think that's it. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, the whole raw versus kibble thing, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. You know, because I know there are a lot of vets out there who say pets need kibble. Mm -hmm. You have to give them kibble. And to me, that just seems insane mm -hmm. because obviously these animals haven't been eating kibble up until, you know, the last 50 years or so. So it's like, why, you know, why would they need it? But mm -hmm. maybe you could talk about that. Yeah, well, the, the, the main issue is that uh, now the, there is a, like an, a very serious campaign trying to discredit the uh, raw food diet because mm. they say, well, uh, salmonella and stuff like this and all kinds of parasites you may find in food. And so uh, even human-grade food. And why do you, you shouldn't feed your cat with, with this kind of or dog with the raw food? But actually, the other day I read the recent, really recent research about a comparison between benefits of kibble and uh, raw food or slightly cooked food mm. for animals. And despite the, all those reservations, um, definitely, well, it's not surprising, but definitely fresher food and uh, that retains all the nutrients it's far better for animals than than kibble it's, this is like yeah it's obviously a logical thing mm -hmm. one issue one serious issue that i do encounter a lot especially with kittens and puppies uh, regarding feeding them raw that um, it's important to feed kittens and puppies when they're still small uh, if you're going to feed them raw you should do it uh, you should keep uh, feed them properly with a balanced diet. You should do your research and, uh, like for example, people uh, feed them only with ground beef. Mm. And uh, well, cats do need, especially kittens, when they have a growing skeleton, uh, they they should have uh, additional things, especially out, uh, amino acid uh, taurine mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. that they lack. Uh, naturally in their bodies and and so if you are going to feed them raw you need to read up there is a great site it's its name is catinfo.org and uh, it has all kinds of recipes both for kittens both for cats and cats with problems with diabetes or any or kidney problems and uh, you definitely need to do research and prepare uh, proper food like sometimes unfortunately like I also have to say to the owner when they come with the kitten, they say, well, well, it's too much work, mm. you know? So mm -hmm. I tell them, well, you know, like if you can't really supply your kitten with a proper balanced diet, raw diet, then, then, or you just feed them out of, you know, like from the table, whatever you eat, mm -hmm. then, well, in this case, better. Well, not kibble, but you know, like there is also a... Um, like canned food. Canned stuff. food, yeah. yeah. Well, mm -hmm. feed them canned food, you know, better. But then feed them canned food, then... Uh, than giving them your food because we do have a lot of cases of kittens coming with very um, thin bones. Mm. They may jump from the, you know, like from a couch and they just get a fracture. Oh. Yeah, mm. and they, they, they really have like really 
kind of very weak bones and puppies too uh, so so yeah you should you should definitely consider that you have a it's like a, a child mm -hmm. you, you need to supply them with proper nutrients and um, but definitely raw food is better than than kibble and if you're afraid of all kinds of parasites or something you know like that may cause infection well first of all we also eat a lot of fresh food and we kind of somehow somehow handle it yeah. and uh, cats and dogs have very acidic stomachs so they they can handle it as well and uh, if you make sure to deworm them periodically um, and if uh, you know like if they're healthy in general if the immune system is is, is strong then you, you shouldn't worry about it mm -hmm. you know it's it's as i said it's you have a greater chance to get pancreatitis from the sausage that you give to a dog once in a while than from this um some dogs may or cats may not tolerate raw food sometimes actually it's better to cook it a little bit mm. Mm -hmm. uh, but you, if if you have a problem uh, with raw food diet, you can um, also give digestive enzymes. Mm. Digestive enzymes, probiotics with the food, uh, because I, uh, well, for example, I know uh, one dog, a collie, that actually has a like she's being fed with really good uh, raw food diet, and she mm. she gets everything that she needs, uh, but she does have uh, loose stools from time to time. And so what solved it is really adding digestive enzymes and probiotics and hmm. it's all fine. No so it's like, it's just like with humans when, um, I don't know, like when, I don't know if you tried the ketogenic diet before, there mm -hmm. is like a transitional period yeah. where your stomach, uh, because the micro microbiota is being, is changing. Mm -hmm. And so there, there is a period where your stool may, may become loose or on the contrary, you may have a constipation. Mm -hmm. And so you do need uh, digestive enzymes to help a bit. Uh, so it's similar in this case as well. Well, another good thing about feeding your pets meat is it makes their poo much more pleasant, <laughs> especially when you have to clean it up. <laughs> it's true. And it, it mm -hmm. seems to like break down and disappear faster. Mm -hmm. I had a friend who had a... Um, she had two great big dogs, Rottweilers, I think they were. And um, they were, one of them was having like hip issues to the point where it couldn't jump in the car anymore. She had to lift it up and it was a huge dog. So she had trouble with that. And then she started reading about the raw food diet for the cat, for the dogs. And um, so she started doing something where she was juicing every morning. So she would take all the pulp from the juice and she would mix in eggs and chicken backs like the chicken the cartilagey bits she mm. would chop that up and put that in and like some meat and stuff like that and get fed that to them and she said within like two weeks this dog was like jumping into the car no problem wow. and oh i started telling that story because she also said that like she had a place where she would take them to um to do their business and she said that after she started feeding them raw it's like you know she would like once a week go and clean up this place and like she said that the stuff just started like you know disintegrating and disappearing mm -hmm. it was like it broke down so much faster and it didn't stink or anything like that pretty amazing yeah. um so since we've been talking a little bit i mean you mentioned the sausage with the yorkies was it mm -hmm. that will um can actually give them pancreatitis there are like a lot of cases where people are feeding 
um, animals, their, their pets, like human food. Mm -hmm. And I know there are some things like around the house that you really, that are actually quite dangerous for pets. Yeah. Um, can you maybe tell us about some of those? Well, yeah, it can be actually very relevant now because we have a Halloween coming up. Mm. Uh, mm -hmm. So this is something to keep in mind that dogs um, shouldn't eat chocolate. Yeah. It's very toxic for them. Um, it's, I don't know, in English it's called thiobromide. Theobromide, yeah. Theobromide, yeah. And uh, it's if it depends how much your dog ingests, but we do have a lot of cases when they ate um you know like uh, one pack of chocolates and it's really like intoxication so basically the darker the chocolate the more um more problematic it is because it ha has a higher percentage of theobromade mm. and uh, you shouldn't even try and uh, you know like don't test it so you right. sh you should really avoid it because it is very toxic for dogs uh, something else that is very um toxic for them and even can lead to death is xylitol so mm -hmm. if you're making xylitol with cookies with xylitol in it or a cake uh, you should also pay attention especially if you have a labrador around that can eat everything yeah. you know you, you you should be really careful uh some other things are also macadamia nuts really uh, yeah what yeah. It's, it's also there <laughs> that's yeah. for dogs specifically yeah yeah, well, there is less research about cats, but for example, I had uh, recently I had a patient, a cat who, well, I don't know what happened to this cat, but he he just had munchies or something, you know. It's and he catnip. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> well, uh, basically, the owners left um, peanuts on the table, and this cat ate peanuts, and, uh, and in the end, uh, figs as well. And so um, we had a really serious poisoning problem and we really? had to do a surgery because, uh, yeah, there was an obstruction. Um, a peanut got stuck in the intestines. Oh, so, no. so, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, you should be, this is something else about responsibility that you, you should be aware of it just like you have small children that you um, proof your house like child proof. Mm -hmm. It's, it should be also pet proof. So um, other things, uh, there are grapes and raisins. Right. Um, well, I heard an interview about this issue. They say that, uh, like, there is a prevalent understanding that uh, grapes and raisins, they cause uh, kidney failure mm. in dogs. Uh, but uh, it, there is also an issue that um, uh, it's uh, especially prevalent in U.S. in the U.S. because they are being sprayed with glyphosate. Oh, and so it's uh, it's like in other stay like in other countries it's less problematic, but especially in the U.S. because they're spraying them with glyphosate. And Grapes are so, spraying with glyphosate. Well, yeah, it's like they they are being sprayed. No kidding, I didn't know that. And uh, and there is like a serious issue that especially raisins and grapes in the U.S. they are more lethal for dogs than hmm. than in other countries. Hmm. Uh, another issue is onions, hmm. uh, leeks, and chives. Chives? Or yeah. Chives. chives. chives yeah. yeah. Um, another thing that you need to remember that uh, although garlic can be beneficial as a deworming agent, if, for example, your dog ate the entire head of garlic, then mm. you may have a problem. Mm. Um, so this is something, yeah, something else to remember that the 
amount that they ate is also very important. So just don't leave things around. Um, well, ethanol as well. Apparently, uncooked, um, like when you're baking, uncooked uh, raw uh, dough oh, okay. has alcohol in it. Oh. And uh, oh. it's also really bad. Um, so, yeah, just pay attention to it. Is any alcohol really bad for them? Like well, what if they got into a bottle of wine or something like that? Well, you see, the thing is, the interesting thing about it is that, um, for example, in the case of antifreeze poisoning, mm. um, it has, uh, for example, it, it, it tastes uh, sweet. That's why some dogs and cats may lick it. Uh, but the antidote for it is actually ethanol. It's alcohol. But hmm. this is when you get when you get or a dog actually sick and extremely sick and it's like life threatening. Right. And then then as an antidote it can help them. But uh, yeah, you shouldn't give them you know like alcohol beer. <laughs> like guys who beer, try to be funny yeah. and give their dogs beer. Well, as, as I said again, it's it's it depends on the amount and uh, you know it depends on the condition because just like with humans, um, you may have if you have a, a problematic liver, you may have you may have a greater effect. And uh, in cats, for example, it's uh, they don't they lack specific enzymes to extract uh, certain toxins from the liver, and so it's uh, it it can have a greater effect on them. So all of this should be kept in mind that, uh, yeah, try to feed your cat and dog with their appropriate diet and don't give them food that from the table. That's... Like any food at all. Because I sometimes give my cat little nibbles of bacon. Me too. Well, something else, yeah, I, I know, but, but but you see, yeah, They're so I know, cute. But it tasty. Yeah. They love it. But you see, uh, for dogs, uh, because, for example, cats are obligatory carnivores. Mm -hmm. Like, wh while dogs are also carnivores, but they can tolerate a, f a fatter food, and, you know, like a f food with more fat in, uh, in, in the content is more fatter. Mm -hmm. But with cats, um, they may get fatty, uh, fatty liver if you if you give them. Oh. That's why, for example, um, uh, when you feed them, uh, you should uh, feed them like chicken or turkey or something. Well, some beef as well, but um, lean beef. Mm. Mm -hmm. Because, uh, for example, they, you shouldn't give them pork or lamb huh. uh, because of the f more fatter content. Uh, and uh, b because essentially they may like they're very resilient creatures they may go a while before you may notice any any you know like any symptoms because 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 of their carnivores and predators cats are really tricky to see if something is wrong with them because they hide it yeah when mm. when you see it it's already when they are unable to hide it and, and so you may feed them well once in a while it's okay but just don't overdo it. That's like the meatier part of the bacon, not the fatty bit of the bacon. Well, you see, with bacon, it's also a problem that it's uh, smoked and it mm -hmm. uh, has more salt in it. So you should, uh, you know, be careful about it. If your cat can tolerate it, just do it once in a while. But if you have, if you know that your cat has a problem, some sort of digestion problem, or liver problem, kidneys problem then you should be really strict with the diet.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, because one other issue with cats, um, they are very, uh, they are not very resilient to stress. Um, in many cases, we have uh, like when the seasons are changing, like in spring or autumn, we have a lot of cats coming in with uh, with inflammation of the of the bladder. Mm. Um, they can get inflammation of the bladder uh, from anything. Like, for example, if a grandma has a cat and she has uh, uh, grandchildren coming in and they play with the cat, and, you know, like, it's especially if it's a British short hair uh, breed mm. and they get stressed and uh, that's it, inflamed bladder. Mm. And they, yeah, they pee blood and stuff like this. So uh, if you change in the environment, if you introduce a new cat or dog and they get stressed, sometimes you can have it. So, um, something else to consider that if you have a cat after they were castrated, you really need to start feeding them appropriate diet for castrated animals. Because, yeah, because naturally their urethra is shrinking. Mm -hmm. You know, it's getting atrophied after castration. And so, um, they may get obstruction uh, of urethra because of it, if you continue feeding them with a diet like a high-protein diet. Mm. So it should be considered as well. Something you mentioned a second ago. Well, two things actually I wanted to ask you about. So onions. You said onions are not good for dogs. Because I had a dog who actually got into my mother's uh, vegetable garden and like we knew he had been eating the onions um, because it was on his breath. But he didn't seem to get sick or anything like that for from it. So, it, like, is it what is it about onions that are bad for dogs? Sulfate. The, oh. Yeah, because the byproduct. You know, like the initially, initially when they eat it, it's fine. But then there is like a, some sort of chemical reaction, and it may have an adverse reaction. Well, it's not. It's not as lethal as mm. with xylitol, for example. Right. Or it's not as urgent as with chocolate. Because, right. you know, they, they, this can have a really serious reaction. But um, it's it, it with, with stuff like onions and garlic and uh, raisins, it, it it kind of depends on the amount and the uh, previous condition, the, the health condition your dog is in. Right. If, if everything is fine, they may have, you know, like a, maybe some, some problem in the stomach and they may eat grass to kind of try to vomit it right. or deal with it, and, and that's it. But but you shouldn't, you know, like... And, and actually, other thing is about the toxic um, plants, mm. because there are some toxic plants that you shouldn't keep, you know, like at the house, because uh, it's especially relevant for cats, mm-hmm. like lilies of all kinds. If you have, uh, because we do have cases where, uh, like, for example, you get for birthday lilies, Mm-hmm. and cats uh, ingest it yeah. and they can have an acute uh, kidney failure. This is really mm. serious because uh, lilies are extreme. You shouldn't keep lilies at home at all, including tulips and all kinds of other varieties. Um, this is like extremely dangerous for cats. Mm. Um, other plants are uh, like saga palms, oleanders, um, mm-hmm. you know, like... Uh, Pothos plants, like devil's ivy, and uh, well, oh, and another thing is that, especially considering the legalization in Canada of marijuana, 
yeah, keep it, keep it far away from your pets because uh. we also had cases of, you know, like a, a cat or a dog coming to us under an influence, you know, having seizures. And when uh. you ask, when you ask uh, people what exactly did they give to the dog or cat, and they just, you know, avert their eyes and they just say, well, maybe we had something lying around and stuff. So, uh. yeah, they, it's. I, I don't know if it it's lethal for them, but it can definitely lead to all kind of weird symptoms. Jeez. Oh, mm. yeah. well, one of Speaking our chatters asked like if, oh. is bacon okay for dogs? It's, yeah, it's fine occasionally as a, yeah, it's, it's better for dogs. It's, it's, it's less, uh, you know, like problematic for dogs than for, uh, for cats. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, like you can also give a dog a fatty parts of, you know, like a. Well, for example, if you give them chicken, chicken wings, so they have a higher fat content. Mm. So you you can give them bacon from time to time, but you know, it, give it as a treat. Don't overdo it. Right. They should have a more leaner muscle, uh, like muscle uh, content, mm. more like a heart muscle. Do you know why cats get crazy on catnip? Um, well, <laughs> I guess it's like, uh, well, it's, it, it isn't like intoxicating for them. But yeah. some cats don't get, like, you know, yeah. they... I've noticed some cats could care less about it and other cats just go crazy. Yeah, but but, but it's just like for humans. We also, <laughs> you know, like may, may get... Uh, like it's alcohol, like alcohol for them, you know, like mm. they, they they have those certain receptors for this kind of stuff. Right. You know, it's <laughs> it's a, well, there is a theory that it's kind of, um, it resembles uh, uh, pheromones mm. and it's like, a, you know, like cat pheromone and it activates this center in them, you know, mm. but I don't know. And one other question I wanted to ask you was about xylitol because I've read kind of mixed things about it um, in terms of cats. Like some people say that it's only dogs that are affected by xylitol, but um, that just kind of got transferred over to cats and people said it was bad for cats too when really it's not. Do you... Well, the only research I, I, I read and I know about is dogs. Uh, okay. Yeah, and I, I don't know. Like, well, cats in general are really weird. Like, among veterinarians, uh, they being even called as aliens, uh. because <laughs> a lot of research and a lot of things we know that are supposed to work on cats, they sometimes just don't work. And so mm. you do know, like, you have this uh, evidence-based science, you know, in veterinary like research is being done properly. And uh, you use this medicine on a cat and it's supposed to work, but it doesn't. And we don't know why. So mm-hmm. so it's like, they're aliens. Huh. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, dogs, are, dogs are easy in this respect because they, they do usually respond according to what we expect them to respond. But cats, sometimes they don't. And we don't know why. Huh. <laughs> that seems typical of cats, actually. They decide what they're going to react to and what they won't mm-hmm. <laughs> on their own terms. Yeah. So speaking of cats, is there outdoor versus indoor? 
is it better to keep a cat as an indoor cat or is it better to keep it as an outdoor cat or does it matter um well it kind of depends um well basically you know like it kind of depends on the cat's personality and uh, if you do have a yard and your cat is uh, like already socialized and they know the like so to say the way home right you know and uh, you make sure just to keep them vaccinate, vaccinated i mean they, they they have a good immunity at the beginning and uh, if you, to put a collar on the cat uh, a good thing would be to sterilize and castrate them because there are a lot of stories like in russia there they many people have summer houses mm. and so they they may take their cat or or their cat to a summer house mm -hmm. to to have them you know like to 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 feel some nature and you do have a lot of cases where cats uh, hang around uh, meet other cats and they get into fights and they get all they get returned pregnant mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah and they can can get, have parasites so so basically the consideration is like this that you do have a, a higher chance of getting all kinds of parasites all kinds of problems when a cat goes outside mm -hmm. there is like no no really big good reason to prevent them from doing it but but you also need to immunize them properly to give them deworming periodically and make sure that they are healthy and uh, you know just just make sure that your cat won't get into any trouble mm -hmm. another thing is that uh, if you live in a like a, in a building and you live like on a sixth floor or fifth floor, so make sure to close your windows mm -hmm. because, mm -hmm. you know, like cats, they have this instinct and they can just jump after a bird, forgetting that they're actually on a sixth floor. Right. And we do have, uh, it's like, uh, well, we we call it a falling out uh, or flying cat season uh. because the moment, they, like in spring, the moment the, the, the weather becomes like a little bit warmer to open windows, this is how they start to come in. Oh. Mm. Yeah. It's like it's a, yeah, it's like a raining, basically raining cats. <laughs> this is like without dogs, raining right. cats. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, it's, it's really heartbreaking because uh, uh, like the owner may not notice that they left the window open or they didn't think about it. And then cats come in and they have fractures and fractures actually the list of the problems mm. because of the fall, they may get um, edema, pulmonary edema or pneumothorax, uh, meaning the air in their uh, in the chest area. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it's very life threatening. They have to be stabilized. And actually fractures are the least of the problems when it happens. Huh. Mm. Yeah. And uh, because because basically it isn't really life-threatening so you can do a surgery obviously you know like osteosynthesis to 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 and you know like fix the fracture but they they often die from pneumothorax or, ed or pulmonary edema and the you know the results of the of this fall on in the chest area hmm. um, so just make sure not to you know like to close the windows and or close them, you know, like there is this security opening mm -hmm. that you can't won't get out. Right. Yeah. But yeah, but but in, essentially, it's it's you can let them out. It's not a problem. Hmm. Well, that's good. But another thing to remember that even if your cat stays indoors, 
um, like sometimes I'm, I'm asked why should I vaccinate my kitten anyway if I'm not if if the kitten is not going outside at all and the the answer I give is that we bring on our soles of our shoes everything uh -huh. and so uh, the kitten may get infection just as easily right mm -hmm. are there any animal myths that tend to go around that just aren't true oh yeah there are cats have nine lives, lives right? <laughs> yeah they what? don't like cats have nine lives Oh, well, no, well. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe more realistic ones. Well, I would just advise not to test it, you know. Like, <laughs> but yeah, there there are like some myths. Like, for example, a common one that I get is that when the owner comes in and he says, well, you know, my dog's nose is warm or dry, mm. and I suspect they may have a fever. Mm. Um, and so I have to explain to them that although it may present itself this symptom of uh, warm nose and dry. Um, sometimes they get it and they, they don't have a fever. And sometimes they may have a perfectly moist and, and, and cold nose and they still may have a fever. Right. So it's, it's not a good symptom and you shouldn't rely on it. You should just maybe have a, a thermometer at home that you mm. can check for yourself or just bring your dog to the clinic and uh, have mm -hmm. them checked out just in case if you're not sure. Um, another myth is that uh, people often think that cats purr well only when they're happy. Right. You know, like if you if you see a cat sitting and they purring, um, that they, they, they're feeling good. Mm. Well, the thing is that uh, actually it's it's not necessarily true because they have the vagus nerve activated. This is the theory. Mm. This is the theory. The, the purring sound we hear is this is how they activate the vagus nerve and they try to relax themselves. Mm. It's like it's an earless breathing, basically. Right. Uh, so they can do it in various conditions when they're stressed or when they're in pain. Actually, it's like a sort of like some sort of analgetic like uh -huh. self self medicating of sorts mm -hmm. they we often see cats with fractures or in the in great pain and they just sit and purr mm. so this is this is something also that if if you know that your cat is distressed and you hear them purr it doesn't mean that they really happy right mm -hmm. they just try to really help themselves mm. yeah um Another myth is that, um, well, that pets, well, sometimes they say, like, for example, not recent, like really recently I heard that, uh, well, my pet is stiff in the morning, but then they're fine. But I guess it's fine because they're getting older, like a cat, mm. dog, you know, like it's kind of like, they say, well, they explain it like a dog is, for example, nine, ten years old, and they say, well, but it's normal, you know, like it's like humans that they get stiffer mm. and they, 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 they have a hard time to rise and go up the stairs and stuff like this. And the thing is that it's quite the opposite. It's that they get old when they get stiff, oh. mm. that their joints are not working properly. And this is when, the, when they become like really slow and they 
they don't run around so so much and they try to be careful about going up the stairs mm. um so when you see something like this i would say that you need to take them to a checkup and maybe give them some supplements uh for the joints uh perhaps some if it's a serious problem then anti-inflammatory anti doesn't necessarily steroid one mm. but to see how they respond and if they feel better then it means they do have a problem with joints mm. or you can have a checkup you know like at the and diet might help with that too i guess yes definitely if your dog is on a sorry crappy diet you know mm -hmm. kibble diet then the thing to improve their life you definitely should first change the diet yeah and i know that you you've already talked about this a little bit but i know that there's like kind of specific breeds of cats and dogs that are predisposed to certain conditions mm -hmm. um you talked about uh the Maine Coons and mm -hmm. um, what was the other one you talked about? Collies? Shelties. Shelties, right. Yeah. yeah. Is there any other ones, ones that maybe people should know about? Well, yeah, like um, in dogs, for example, German Shepherds, as I said, predisposed to get a bloat, um, mm. predisposed for hip dysplasia. Right. Actually, there is a test that they do, like a breeder, like for example, if you buy uh, from a breeder german shepherd puppy mm. they often request uh, like i know they do it in europe before you give puppy um, to the owner you have to have a x-ray done on the um, to see if there is a, some sort of congenital hip problem mm. uh, and, uh, and german shepherds are predisposed uh, to develop hip dysplasia later in the life Hmm. but but it can affect you know like like if it's a congenital you you will see it like until six months uh, of age but then later in life they may have a joint problem and hip dysplasia problem stuff like this uh, so if you have an older breed uh, an older you know like german shepherd you do need to have them checked for the joints just in case every year um with bulldogs uh, or other Boston Terriers, or or, or how are they called pugs, pugs, yeah, with yeah. pugs. Mm -hmm. every brachiocephalic breed. This is like well, for example, English Bulldog is being um, banned for breeding. Well, hmm. in in UK, or at least there is an effort to like veterinarians like call for banning this breed because uh, this is like a walking problem. They mm. have respiratory problems they have all kinds of skin problems and it's like well when when i say to people um well you know like it's like when they already have a dog it's not like i want to say to them well you know like you you bought in a bad dog and or something right. like this i can't say it to them but but sometimes um I do tell tell them when they say well but they snore so funny and they mm. make those funny noises and i explain to them that they have actually a seriously deformed skull hmm. and the, and imagine your dog uh breathing breathing all their life as if through a gas mask hmm. it's it's that labored breathing and they you know like you have many youtube videos where they show those funny noises that the, those dogs make but it's not it's really not funny at all huh. and uh, but they 
well veterinarians have some sort of internal internal joke that they are our bread and butter those, uh, those breeds because they're in the vet office so often yes they are um another breed uh, that has a lot of problems and i actually have trouble pronouncing its name in english dachshund how you Dats say that's an Dachshund. Dachshund. Yes, the sausage dog. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> little wiener dog. So, wiener dog, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, because of the, of, of the shorter legs and longer spine, uh, a large percentage of them has uh, serious back problems. Mm, that's not surprising. Yes, mm -hmm. they, they do. And... Uh, and it requires a serious um, surgery on the spine. Mm -hmm. They may go fine, and you know, like it be, will be undiagnosed, and may may live their life fine until one day uh, they may get paralyzed in the hind legs oh. or front legs or whatever. And uh, and yeah, this is really heartbreaking. And uh, we do have some cases where. Uh, Owners abandon their pets because they become incontinent. 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 Yeah, mm. and uh, they can't handle those. But some do take care of them, and they make wheels for them. Yeah, I've seen like videos and stuff of these dachshund and wheelchair things. Yeah. So, so it's it's kind of, it's heartbreaking, but it's kind of depends if the owner loves their pet and they willing to handle those wheels and everything. So they they can still live happily. Hmm. Yeah, and 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 another thing is that uh, sometimes you know owners are being afraid if if like there is some serious fracture or problem with the leg and they have to amputate. You know, like a veterinarian has a to amputate uh, the leg. Mm -hmm. And I often tell them, well, don't worry. It's it's uh, both cats and dogs can manage great without a problem on three legs. <laughs> it's not a problem at all. They don't suffer. They don't see it as us, you know, like that. It's like some sort of, uh, you know, like deformity or some sort of problem or disability. Hmm. They manage just fine. So if you have a serious problem and you have, uh, you know, you you have to get you the leg of your dog amputated don't worry about that mm. you know like just better do it than not right yeah i know um the west highland white terrier i had that i was talking about before they seem to be predisposed to uh, some kind of leg injury where it's kind of they'll be running along and it's almost like the ligament kind of yes pops out or something yes it's actually a very prevalent problem also in yorkshire terriers mm. and other small breeds like toy do, toy terriers and uh, chihuahuas mm. uh, all those small breeds they have something that's called um, patella or kneecap luxation mm. where mm. the kneecap moves and uh. and then that's why they get uh, you know like they they may be limping it's in, I, I don't know about other breeds, but for example, in case of Yorkshire Terriers, this is the disadvantage of, of the breed because they have shorter legs and, you know, like it's like more deformed body. Mm -hmm. um, they have it a lot. Some of them live the entire life with this and it's not a problem because there are grades of mm -hmm. patella, patellar uh, luxation. And uh, so if you have like a first or second grade, well, it's fine. But then if you have a third or fourth grade, you really have to uh, do a surgery mm. to stabilize it. 
because otherwise your dog may be, you know, like it, it, it will be limping and it will be like a, a friction, greater friction. It will, right. it will have a greater problem later on. So yeah, that's unfortunate. That this is the unfortunate predisposition of this breed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Others, well, there are like, uh, well, I mentioned Chihuahuas. They may have something called collapsing trachea. Oh God. Yeah, because they, like, for example, if they get nervous or they're overheating and suddenly you hear your dog like, mm. you know, like breathing like this. And, uh, and yeah, they, they may have sometimes problems where the trachea collapses on itself and like there is, there is only like small amount, a small, mm. you know, like a hole left for them oh, to geez. breathe. Um, yeah. And, uh, well, Rottweilers have joint problems. Poodles have eye problems like glaucoma. They get, with age, they can get blind. Huh. Well, it doesn't mean that it can be corrected. I mean, with glaucoma, you can do eye surgery. Mm -hmm. But I mean that um, this is something that should be researched as well mm -hmm. before you take uh, a specific breed. Because, uh, and, and it is, it's, it's kind of you know easy in a sense where you know what to expect and if you keep a good diet and stuff then you know it can be better mm -hmm. uh with cats as i said you know maine coons persians uh, or there is a breed called ragdolls mm, i don't know ragdoll that. yeah they yeah. they may get hypertrophic uh, cardiomyopathy mm. and so we usually with maine coons um we do advise to check them just in case um so you know you know like if, if they have something like this because if it goes undiagnosed uh, and, and they may actually die earlier uh. yeah um well i said already about kidney disease in persians and um abyssinians may get retinal atrophy as well mm. they may get blind with time mm. um well, there is a specific thing about British short hairs. It's like it's like this breed is really like problematic in this sense. They may get uh, like a sort of hemophilia, like a blood clotting problem. Hmm. And so it can also go undiagnosed if your cat is fine and you know, like it doesn't get any injuries. But for example, if they, if they may have a surgery or they may, may fall out of the, you know, like from high store, uh, then you may get a problem of them bleeding out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, well, the, the, you know, like there is like Scottish Folds. Oh, yes, the most problematic breed among cats. Mm. And it, it is finally, and I'm so happy about it, that they finally are being banned from breeding in Scotland. In Scotland. It's a Scottish Fold. You know, like this cat with cute big eyes and folded mm -hmm. uh, ears, small folded ears. Mm. And oh. those poor cats, yeah, they, those poor cats, they have some sort of uh, arthropathy, uh, congenital problem, uh, like a cartilage abnormalities, where their uh, extremities uh, like have overgrown cartilage. And they, on the x-ray, they look like uh, rabbit legs. Hmm. And, uh, well, first of all, they have trouble walking. And it's mm -hmm. also extremely painful. Oh. And in many cases, 
where it's in, in many, many cases it's not possible to operate on them and so in in many cases we actually have to euthanize them because wow. because it it is extremely painful and uh, sometimes it's not possible to operate or treat them um okay. so you know and so so it's i think this breed is really problematic in many in, in many senses so it's it's good that they are being banned all these yeah conditions that you're listing off for these different breeds is kind of like an argument for you know going for mixed breeds instead mm -hmm. it kind of seems like we've bred some of these animals into complete um dysfunction like we've bred them to the point where they're not actually functional anymore that they have these these conditions i mean some of the more minor ones maybe not but it seems like the breed the selective breeding has kind of bred in these kind of um uh well just like dysfunctional aspects to them and i don't know if actually breeding them if you can actually breed those things out of them mm -hmm. by kind of you know trying to mix the breed a little bit well you see the thing is that um i don't know if you saw it but it has been circulating on uh, social networks a lot uh, there is this um, article about how breed the, how breeds looked like a hundred years ago Mm. specific breeds and a lot of them actually looked very different mm. and uh, perhaps when they were first created they were in good health and yeah maybe there were some problems but the thing is that um, there are a lot of bad breeders mm. that they actually uh, make the problem worse mm. um, they um, instead of you know like breeding healthy animals they just pick up like maybe in the more beautiful ones or anything right. they just continue to breed and this cross you know breeding is uh, you know like among uh, close well, well maybe not relatives but there is like a, among breeders like there is only a specific pool of breeders like uh, you know like high with, with medals and everything right and so you basically continue to breed the same problem you continue right, right. to create the same problem um, but but actually some breeds as you said like why breed some mute you know like problem from the beginning mm -hmm. but for example sphinx cat hairless cat right was created because one specific cat had a mutation mm. it it was born without any hair mm. so 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 basically and the and the the person you know like decided to basically experiment with it and try to breed the uh, hypoallergenic cat Right. But actually, this is another myth, oh. because there are no hypoallergenic breeds. Mm -hmm. I, um, in fact, uh, <gasps> there was, um, I read not long ago research, where they tried to check if, uh, like, why specific cats, why cats are allergic, like, wh why some people are allergic to cats. Right. And they found out that, uh, surprisingly or not, it is, um, well, you know, like cats' hair, like follicles excre excrete a certain oil, mm -hmm. you know, to oil the skin. And so they found out that it's not about the hair. It's about this oil. And mm. the effect of this oil highly depends on the diet the cat has. Mm. And so they actually did, did experiments. And apparently, if, for example, you cat, you, if you're allergic to a cat, and if... Um, you change uh, the diet of this cat to a natural one, 
appropriate one, a person may become less allergic. No kidding. Yeah, mm. and and I have experience. I I actually have a friend that had a. She's allergic to cats, but recently she visited the house where they have a cat uh, that is eating a natural diet, and actually two houses where they feed uh, their cats with natural diet, and she and she didn't have any reaction at all. No kidding. Yes, mm. and those are different breeds. Yeah, different cats. That's amazing. Yeah. So it's something worth checking, you know, like if if you have a allergy to a cat, then maybe perhaps you should just change the diet and see if it's because it may be that. Well, maybe it's not. Like sometimes we do, some people do allergic to hair, cat hair. Mm -hmm. Right. But um, but it's worth checking instead of getting rid of a cat, you know, like if for example couple marries and you know one someone is allergic to a cat and then they say, "Well, you know, bye-bye." But maybe of course just checking if they eat kibble. <laughs> yeah. Then trying out a natural diet and see how it goes. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Okay. Well, we're coming up uh, to the end of our time here. Tiff, did you have any more questions for Zoya? No, but one of our chatters does. They want to know uh, if spaniels are prone to ear problems. Yes, they are. Yes, because mm. they have those long, hairy ears that cover the ear canal. Mm. And so often it becomes, well, you know, like especially if the weather is warm and uh, it can become moist and, you know, like inflamed. Uh, so you you do need, in their case, you do need to periodically clean the ears. Uh, you can buy, buy, like there is an ear lotion that you can buy at your veterinarian. And uh, what you do is basically put several drops in the ear, like, you know, like uh, touch a bit, you know, fondle a bit, massage a bit at the base of the ear, and then clean them, clean the ear, but not with, uh, uh, how you say it, ear sticks. Q-tip? Not with Q-tips, not at all. Okay. Just uh, take a, a piece of gauze or something similar, you know, like a, a moist, some sort of, uh, you know, like thingy. I don't know how you call it in, in English. Like like with alcohol or something? No, or? without alcohol. Okay. Well, a you, baby you know, like wipe. cosmetic thingy. A baby wipe, yes. Ah. Like something like this. Or, you know, like those discs, cosmetic discs that you clean the face mm -hmm. with. Mm -hmm. Uh, this as well and just clean the ear and just make sure that it's um, dry and mm. clean yes they do but if if uh, if you already have a more serious problem if you have a pus coming or if it's if there is redness you may need a more stronger medication mm. and check if you have, you don't have otitis or something you know like if you if your dog tilts his or her head, you know, like uh, to a side, they may already have uh, otitis. So mm. it's something to check. Yeah. But they do, yeah. Mm. Okay, well, that is our show for this week. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Thanks to our chatters. Uh, we will be back next week with another exciting topic. And be sure to listen to the other two SOT.net radio shows. Uh, one is tomorrow, 
Um, that's the Truth Perspective. And then on Sunday, there is Newsreel. And you can check uh, radio.sat.net for the time on those. So thanks for joining us, everybody. Have a good weekend. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank